You are listening to audio provided by FBC Farwell. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out fbcfarwell.org. Let's get into our text this morning. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 16. We are in, um, been looking at this for some time now, the, uh, the history of the church. The book of Acts is a historical record of the birth of the church. What we get to enjoy today, we are standing on the shoulders of our first century brothers and sisters in Christ, like Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and Peter and all the apostles. And, and, and what, what Luke does, the good Dr. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, also gives us the book of Acts, the historical account of the birth and the sending of the church. And where we're at in the storyline is, is in Acts chapter 16. Paul is on his second missionary journey going to places that have never heard the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. You can be a Jew, but you still have to go to get to God. You still have to go through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so God is sending Paul, and now he's with Silas, and, and he's with Timothy, and he's also with Luke. And they are going, and they are traveling. They're going to city, to city, to city, sharing the gospel, and coming to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning, I've entitled the message, The Power of the Gospel. The Power of the Gospel. What is the gospel? Sometimes we can throw that word around and just assume that everybody understands what that is. What is the gospel? Um, is, it, is it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, the answer is yes, those are gospels. Those are accounts of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe the most simple definition of the gospel is the good news. Well, the good news of what? It is the good news of the the coming of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, Going to the cross, shedding his blood for the remission, for the payment of our sins, all of them, past, present, and future. But he didn't stay on the cross. He was put into the tomb. But three days later, he rose again to never die again, to to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. But the gospel, sometimes we can minimize the gospel and think it's only for lost people. Like, like maybe when I talk this morning and I say, well, the title of the message is the power of the gospel. I don't want you to check out and go, well, man, the gospel, I'm saved. I don't really need the gospel. No, 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 listen, you need the gospel. I need the gospel. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians. Keep your place there in Acts and turn over just a couple of books Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Look at 2nd Corinthians. I'm sorry, 1st Corinthians, chapter 15. 1st Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 1. Paul gives us a great definition of the gospel and how it is important, how it is useful Not just for salvation, most definitely useful for that, but it is also useful for all of us who call ourselves Christians. Look at what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you. 
And so he, look at what he's saying. I, I want this to be clear. I, I don't want it to be confusing. I want it to be very clear, the gospel that I preach to you. Watch what he says, which you received. He's talking to brothers and sisters, people who have who've accepted Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. He's, he says, you've, you've received the gospel on which you, you take your stand. You place your hope in the gospel. You, you, you are believing, you are trusting that when you take your last breath and you open up your eyes, you will open them up in the splendor, in the glory of heaven, not in the burning uh, pit of hell. So you take your stand on the gospel and by which you are being saved if you hold to the message I preach to you. Not Sometimes we can get that confused like if you hold it, like, like you might let go of it. No, no, no. If you hold, if you hold to this belief that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So, so you've received it. You take your stand on it. Your hope is in the gospel. And, and, and you, you, you will stay there. You're, you're secure in the gospel. He goes on in verse 3. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins. Notice it's plural. Meaning past, present, and future sins. According to the scriptures, not Paul saying according to the scriptures, not according to my own opinion, but according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which was Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Some of them have died. Here's what Paul is saying about the gospel. You have received the gospel. You take your stand on the gospel. You are in the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and raised third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. And I want you to see the power of gospel that we can receive it, that we can take our stand on it, and the power of the gospel that we are secure in it. I want you to see that this morning. The Apostle Paul also says, it says to us through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Have you ever met anyone that you were going, man, I wish that person was saved. Anybody know anybody like that? Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's, it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a, a spouse. And you're like, man, I wish that person was saved. But I don't think they can be. Because, man, they're rough. Like they're, they just, they're not even looking for salvation. They're, I mean, so we, can, we can get to that point of trying to share the gospel with someone and hoping that they would come to faith and then just kind of give up. Here's what I want to encourage you. Don't give up. The Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Why, Paul? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then also. So as we get that, the gospel, that's a great uh, definition that Paul gives us as the gospel. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the power of the gospel. And we're going to see it through three different events, three different stories. Or it's actually one story, three different events that Paul is having on his mission trip to the city of Philippi. This is the city where he is later going to 
write the book of Philippians, a, a church, a body of believers who he loves dearly. But this is early on. This is before, uh, the, before the gospel has been spread in Philippi. We're going to look at three different stories to show you the power of the gospel. Let me give you the setting real quick. Look at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 and 12. Acts chapter 16, verses 11 and 12. From Troas, we, that's Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and now Luke, we put out to sea and we sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city in the district of Macedonia. If you remember, if you were here last week or watching online, you remember that the Apostle Paul was on mission trying to go to these different cities, but God continued to stop him. The Holy Spirit would, wouldn't allow him to go there. God wouldn't allow him to go here. And then in a dream, a Macedonian said, come over to Macedonia and share the gospel with us. And here's, this is what we see, Paul and, and his uh, band of brothers. They get in a boat and they go across to Macedonia. Look what he says. We stayed in that city for several days. Some theologians believe that they stayed there for weeks. Um, uh, Philippi would have been about 150 miles of sailing. And, and, and uh, I don't want you to get this idea of the Apostle Paul uh, and, and Silas and Timothy and Luke. It's not like, it's not like they're on a schooner, uh, you know, like with a little deck down below where they can have some um, uh, wine and cheese. No, no, no. This was like, this was a battleship. This was possibly even a slave trade ship that is cutting across the sea. And they find themselves here in Macedonia, specifically in Philippi, a Roman colony. Uh, there's just, it's, it's just a, a wicked city. Not, there's there's, there's uh, very few, well, actually, there's no believers at this time. And there are very few even devout Jews who are following the law. And we'll see that here in just a moment. So that's historically, that's the setting. But I want you to see... How, how much the Apostle Paul loves this city or loves the church that is found in this city. Just let me, let me read it for you. Later on, the, several years later, the Apostle Paul is going to write to this church in Philippi. Listen to what he says to them. This is in Philippians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. You're going to look here in just a moment. You're going to see in the text where everything wasn't peachy for the Apostle Paul. He went through some heavy, heavy persecution in Philippi. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, he loved this church. He loved this city. But I want you to see, I want you to see how eternally or let me, let me back up. I want you to see how historically significant this is. The Apostle Paul in Philippi is going to preach the gospel. He's going to share the gospel. And, and it is the first mention 
of someone converting to faith in Jesus on European soil. I mean, think about that for a, for a second. It's the, it's the first mention of someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ on European soil. That's, that's historically significant. And someone just kind of gets lost in these stories, but I want to point it out. In this first person on European soil to proclaim to be a believer was a woman named Lydia. And so here's the first point I want you to see. Not only of the gospel just generically, but the power of the gospel when it is proclaimed. The power of the gospel when it is proclaimed. Look at verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we, this is Paul and his band of brothers, Silas and Timothy and Luke. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. You remember, if you remember the stories of Paul going to these cities to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, um, he first goes to the synagogue. Why doesn't he go to the synagogue in Philippi? Because there's not even a synagogue. There's, there's not a place where there are Jewish uh, uh, people reading the Old Testament Scripture. So he goes outside of the city gate, meaning he's going to a place outside of, of the respect of the city, outside of the authority of the Scripture, outside of the authority of the city, and he finds a group of women Praying. Look at what it says later on, verse 13. We sat down and we spoke to the woman gathered there. To the women gathered there. We spoke to the women. What is, what is the Apostle Paul speaking about? I believe he's speaking the gospel. I believe he is sharing the gospel. If you want to see what the Apostle Paul probably shared, you can find it in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 16. This is his, this is his sermon that Luke is always pointing back to. Maybe it's not as sermonic as Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 16, but it's definitely conversational. He is, he is saying that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus Christ. And look at what well look at what happens. A God-fearing woman named Lydia. Some of your translations might say a, a worshiper of God, but don't confuse that with a Christian. It's, it's not necessarily, she is not a Christian yet, but she is about to be. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. Paul is proclaiming the gospel. And this woman who fears God, who has a respect for God, is listening to the gospel being proclaimed. And then look at verse 14. The latter part of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. The Lord opened her heart to respond this, what does this mean? The Lord opened her heart. Here's what you see. See, the, the work of man, Paul and his brothers, they're, they're proclaiming the gospel. But God opened her heart. What does that mean specifically? It means that the God of all grace, grace opened her spiritual eyes. Paul didn't open up her spiritual eyes. Silas didn't open up her spiritual eyes. But the God of all grace opened her spiritual eyes so that she could embrace Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. God worked in Lydia's heart and gave her new life as she heard the gospel. I want you to see the power of the gospel when it is proclaimed. 
She wasn't won over by the Apostle Paul's uh, flowery speech. She wasn't won over by the Apostle Paul's ability to, to communicate the gospel. She, she wasn't won over by his, his, his knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. No, God opened up her heart. He opened up her spiritual eyes to be able to see that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, I believe that God uses. I believe that God used. We see it in the scripture. And I believe that God, even still to this day, uses the proclamation of the gospel to reveal his will and power and authority to save sinners from hell. Let me say that again. I still believe that God uses the proclamation, the preaching of the gospel, sharing the good news to open up spiritual eyes to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Listen, if you're a Christian, remember. Oh, may we, may our hope in this, and that's not a, a wishful hope, it's a confident assurance May our hope increase that our Lord and Savior still does the converting work through faithful messengers of the gospel. Listen, I believe that we can trust that when the Bible is taught, God does work in people's lives. When the Bible is taught and people hear the proclamation of God's word, God does work in people's lives. As we grow in that knowledge, as we grow in that competent assurance that that statement is true, we will bring people underneath the hearing and the proclamation of the gospel. And then we can see God do the work. So this is powerful, what we are seeing here from this woman named Lydia. It's historically significant, but I want you to also see it's eternally significant. Paul went to a place of prayer. He proclaimed the gospel, and the Lord transformed an individual into a follower of King Jesus. Not only this woman named Lydia, but notice what else it says in verse 15. After she and her household were baptized, apparently on the testimony of Lydia, as she goes back home, as she proclaims the gospel, as maybe Paul goes with her and they, and they both proclaim the gospel, she tells her testimony, her entire house, probably even her servants, are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and they are being baptized. So it's eternally, it's historically, it's powerfully significant. So number one point that we see here in our story about the power of the gospel, it's powerful when it is proclaimed. God opens up the hearts of those who hear. But number two, I want you to see this. The power of the gospel over demons. The power of the gospel over demonic oppression. Look at what it says in verses 16 through 18. Uh, Luke highlights the missionary's encounter with a young, uh, a tormented, um, demonic-possessed young girl. Look, look at verses 16 through 18. 
Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. Now notice that you have this, you have this young slave girl being pimped out by, by unbelievers for profit to, to tell people's futures and they're, they're making money off of her. But notice what it says in verse 17. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. And she did this for many days. Now, real quick, contrast the difference between demon-possessed girl, slave girl, and Lydia, a woman who's wealthy, who is respected in the community. Make a con- see, the, see the contrast in these two. I believe what Luke is showing us by telling us story, giving, giving us these stories back to back, I believe he is showing us the diverse nature of God's power. That God can reach the lowest of the low and he can reach those that are the most morally high within a community. Verse 18, verse 19, or no, I'm sorry, verse 18, it says that she did this for many days and Paul was greatly annoyed. So, I mean, just get a picture of this, Paul. Silas, Timothy, and, and Luke, they're going around. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus Christ. Some people are coming to faith in Him. Some aren't. But you, hear, you have this slave girl who's, who's just crying out. These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. You might read that and think, why would Paul be annoyed by that? I mean, that's, he just has another person proclaiming the truth. Well... The Apostle Paul follows the example of Jesus. I don't know if you remember or not. But in the Gospels, demon-possessed people say true things about Jesus. But every single time they do, Jesus rebukes them. If you want to take notes, and we won't go to these, but Mark chapter 1 is, in a, is a story. Uh, Mark chapter 5 is an example of that where, where demon-possessed people are saying true things you would think would be a benefit to the advancement of the gospel. Jesus knows Satan's purpose. He knows his plan. And so Jesus rebukes them every time. Mark chapter 1 verse 24. Mark chapter 5 verse 7. Luke chapter 4 verse 34. Three stories and there's others. That's three uh, that you can look at. But notice this. Just as Satan did with Jesus. Satan attempts to derail the missionary's work in Philippi. By attempting to form some kind of brotherhood, some type of alliance with the missionaries, demonic purpose. And with the deliverance of this young girl, the power of Jesus Christ is displayed. You see, I believe Satan is wanting to ride on the coattails. Paul and Silas and the others. So this demon-possessed girl can continue to spread the falsehood. Jesus wants His power to be known. And with her deliverance, the power of Jesus Christ is displayed. 
this slave girl is delivered. She's in her right mind, following an encounter with Christ. I believe it's uh, safe to assume that she became a believer after her deliverance. Uh, she suddenly had a new owner. She was being uh, pimped out by these men looking for a prophet. Now she is a child of the one true king. He gave her peace. He gave her joy. He gave her freedom. He gave her rest. Again, contrast these two conversion stories. You have Lydia and you have this slave girl. We don't know her name. Lydia is wealthy. The slave girl is very poor. Lydia is a community member of high standing. The slave girl is exploited Lydia is religious and she is moral. Before uh, hearing the gospel, she's an unbeliever, but she's a moral person. The slave girl is broken and tormented. Lydia comes to faith in, in a quiet little prayer meeting and a, a Bible study, if you will. The slave girl gets transformed through a dramatic power encounter with Jesus Christ. Lydia was presented with Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. The slave girl met Jesus as a mighty deliverer. These two different ladies, both were brought to faith in Jesus. Which I believe is a reminder that the gospel can save all sorts of people. It's the power of the gospel. We might have people in our mind that, that, that we think, man, I wish that person was kind of going to be, would be a believer, would become a believer, but they're, they're not going to. For whatever reason, sometimes we write people off and praise God He doesn't do that to us. Power of the gospel. We have two examples here. That God can transform all sorts of people. It's the power of the gospel. The power that brought the evil spirit out of this girl is the same power that opened up Lydia's heart. It's the power of Jesus. I believe, this, I believe this power should fill us with hope. If Jesus can, can free a demon-possessed young girl, He can break your addictions. He can set you free from hopelessness. He can set you free from the, from the sins that have just become uh, kind of like our pets, our little, our little habits. That we think, man, I, I just, this is just who I am. This is just the way that I, that I roll. No, no, listen. Jesus has the power to set us free. And we see that in the example of these two stories that we've already looked at. They can, listen, He can set us free from our negative thinking. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. May our hearts be opened to believe. Oh, may our hearts be opened to believe it. Number one, the power of the gospel when it's proclaimed. The power of the gospel over demons. And then let me close here. Number three, the power of the gospel during dark seasons. Are you in a dark season? Like, is this just an incredibly confusing season that, that's just kind of got you off of your equilibrium? It's just, yeah, I mean, just, is it a dark season? I think a lot of people would describe what we are going through as, as, a, as a community, as, as families, as a nation, as a whole, really as a world, is a dark season. I want you to see the power of God, of the gospel during dark seasons. Look at verses 19. Verse 19, it says, When our owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, 
they seized Paul and Silas. And they dragged them into the marketplace of the authorities. You see what happened? Her, her, her pimps are, see that their prophets is going to be gone. And they're looking for someone to blame. And they find Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men, listen to their, listen to their statement. These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner parts, into the inner prison, and secured their feet in stocks. Look at verse 59. About midnight. It's a dark season. Literally, about midnight. Figuratively, Paul and Silas have been beaten. They're beaten and their, their legs have been, have been, have been shredded and, and opened bare. And now they're in prison. Be more like a, a dungeon or a cave. And their feet are in Stocks. All because the slave girl's deliverance upset a community. The owners of the girl were about to lose a lot of money. So they send them into the city square. They make these false claims. But here's the question. Is it really a false claim? Look at verse 20 and 21 again. Is, is, look at verse 20. These men are seriously disturbing our city. That's not false, that's true. But, like every other false statement, it's, they do have a little bit of truth in it. And then where the false statement comes in is verse 21. And they are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. It is... Partly a true statement. This girl's deliverance has upset a community. And here's the truth we must come to grips with. The gospel will disturb a family, a city, or a nation whose God is money. Let me say that again. The gospel will disturb a family whose God is money. The gospel will disturb a city whose God is money. It will disturb a nation whose God is money. Therefore, they claim the missionaries were disturbing the city and advocating unlawful customs. They weren't advocating unlawful customs. They were just setting people free from their demonic possession. And then soon the crowds did what crowds always do. This, kind of this mob rule. They joined the attack. And the leaders had Paul and Silas beaten with rods. Now, verse 25, about midnight. It's dark, literally and figuratively. Look at what it says about midnight. Paul and Silas, they've been beaten. They're in stocks. They're chained to the wall. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. 
You remember in Acts chapter 12, verse 6, Peter sleeps in prison. And you look at that and you go, man, how, how can you sleep? You're, you're probably going to be executed within the next few hours. He's, he's so hard asleep that when the Holy Spirit comes to wake him up, it says he kicks him on his side to, 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 to get him awake. He is, he is asleep. He's sleeping hard. And here's Paul and Silas. They are singing in prison, both both. Sleeping and singing are expressions of faith and peace in the Lord. Here's these two men. They, they are praying and they are worshiping. They're singing about the goodness of God and they are in prison. Let me ask you, are you at peace in this dark season? Could that describe your quiet moments I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going through this with, with full peace. I don't, of course, I don't know what happens tomorrow, but I still have peace. Yes, I have peace. I know very few. I actually, yeah, very, very few who could say that. They're at peace in this dark season. At midnight, Paul and Silas have a problem. Don't they? They're, they're in prison. They're probably going to be killed. <clears throat> they have a problem. But they prayed and they worshipped despite their problem. Don't miss that. They prayed and worshipped despite their problem. At midnight, the jailer had a problem. Go on and read down. It says that they, they were praying and singing hymns and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and he saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. There was a rule, a law by the government that if your prisoners escaped, you are a dead man. And he's thinking, I'll just go ahead and put myself instead of face the punishment that's going to be handed out. Paul and Silas, they have a problem. But they sang and they praised. At midnight, the jailer had a problem. The jailer considered, instead of facing... What's coming next, I'll just commit suicide. That seems so much easier. Easier Suicide seems more desirable to this jailer than facing another moment with his problem. But at midnight, in this dark moment, Paul and Silas are set free from jail. And by the power of of the gospel, the jailer is set free from an eternity in hell. Look, look at what it says. When the jailer woke up and he saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But look at what happens. Verse 29, but Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. Listen, Paul is in a dark place. He could have been thinking about himself. He could have been concerned about what is going to happen to him. What is going to happen to this poor Silas who he's just brought along on the mission trip. And Timothy, this new believer in the faith who he's just brought along and Luke is just this as he goes. I mean, he could have been thinking about himself. He could have been thinking about his crew in the darkness of the moment, but he sees a man who would rather commit suicide and he cries out to him, don't do it. Don't. We're all here. 
the power of the gospel in a dark season. Look at verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Power of the gospel in a dark season. The jailer comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He, he woke up that day just thinking he's going to go to work. Nothing, you know, probably out of the ordinary is going to happen. He's put these two guys in jail, just kind of a normal day possibly. Had no idea of the dark season that was about to come upon him. And the power of the gospel saves him. Look at what they said, verse 31. Paul and Silas say, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Notice the hospitality. Same thing with Lydia. Lydia invites them to come into her home, which eventually is going to be the, become the church of Philippi. And now here's this jailer who had just put them in stocks and thrown them into the back of the dungeon, the, the cave. And now here he is as a new man in Christ. He's washing their wounds. Right away, he and all of his family were baptized. They follow up in the first step of obedience. He brings them into his house, set a meal before him. Now, they're, now he's feeding them and rejoice because he had come to believe in the God, come to believe in God with his entire household. The power of God during a dark season. Are you in a dark season? I believe too often American Christians look at problems as prophetic signs of Jesus returning. Let me say that again. I believe that too often American Christians look at problems, look at inconveniences as prophetic signs of Jesus' return. What would have happened if Paul and Silas would have done that? What if Paul would have said, you know what? That Jesus guy said that he was going to return. This must be it. Surely he wouldn't send us in here to go through this dark season and die. No, this must be the return of Jesus Christ. Here's what would have happened. They never would have cried out to the jailer who is going to commit, commit suicide. They would have kept quiet because they're, they're, they're thinking this must be a prophetic sign because they're going through a dark season. They're going through a hardship. And let me ask you this. What would happen if Christians today stopped looking at dark seasons as signs of Jesus' Jesus's return and started recognizing dark seasons as opportunities for God to deliver us from temporary struggles and opportunities for God to rescue others to eternal salvation? What if we looked at COVID, the dark season that we are going through, and started looking at it as an opportunity for God to deliver us and for an opportunity for us to share the gospel with someone who needs to hear it and see them come to faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, we ought to be, we ought to be longing for the return of Jesus Christ. I, I long for that day. 
But I don't want to miss an opportunity for God to deliver me from an inconvenience, for God to deliver me from a struggle. Oh, it's powerful. And my focus, instead of being self-focused, it will be on others. It will be outward instead of inward. Listen, dark seasons are perfect opportunities for us to experience God's deliverance through them. I love the way John Maxwell says it this way. He says, you can't have a miracle until you have a problem. Think about it. You can't have a miracle until you have a problem. Nowhere in Scripture do you see God uh, uh, having, do, doing a miracle when there wasn't a problem. So what if we started looking at them as opportunities for God to deliver us? For God to restore us and for God to show off his power of the gospel. Now, real quick, let me wrap this up. Think of these three events that we've looked at and how diverse they are. Lydia, ethnically, was an Asian. Economically, was wealthy. Spiritually, she was looking. was was searching for something that, that her resources wasn't able to provide. She was a wealthy woman. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't filling the need. And so spiritually, she is looking for something. And she finds it in Jesus Christ. How? By the public proclamation of the gospel. I think for too long, that's kind of where we have seen it's where we've expected God to work. Come and see. We'll preach the gospel. And then you can... Ex- you can... The second event is a slave girl. We don't know her name. Native. Her, her ethnicity is native Greek. Economically, poor. Slave. Spiritually, not even looking. She is demon-possessed. I mean, I want, I want you to think of the most wicked person you know or the most wicked person that you can think of on the news that you have seen. That's who this girl represents. She's saved through this dramatic deliverance from demon possession. Wasn't looking whatsoever. But God moved in her life. Then you have the jailer. Uh, ethnicity, Roman. Economically, probably blue collar. Just, you know, going to work every day, doing his deal. Practical, indifferent. Just kind of ambivalent to, uh, to what's going on as far as eternity. Probably not an a atheist, but maybe more agnostic. Like, I ah, just it doesn't really matter to me. Not, not really anything that I believe in. But yet, because of a dark season... And because there was someone there who believed in the power of the gospel when it is proclaimed, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, within a 30-mile radius of Farwell, do you think there are any poor, any wealthy, any blue-collar people who could benefit by experiencing the power and the grace of of the gospel? Any? Yeah. Absolutely. Thousands. Literally thousands within a 30 mile radius. 
Oh, may we grow in our hope, in our belief in the power of the gospel when it is proclaimed. Just someone sitting underneath the gospel when it is proclaimed, God can open up their heart, open up their mind to receive him. The power of the gospel over demons. The power of the gospel during dark seasons. And may we say, as the apostle Paul says in Romans 1, Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Wealthy, poor, blue collar, someone searching, someone atheist, just hates God, anything about God, it's someone who's ambivalent. Listen, God still saves by the power of the gospel. Listen, if you're here this morning and maybe you were drugged here, (laughs) you had no other option. Listen, you're here because God planned for you to be here to sit underneath the proclamation of the gospel And He is calling you to Himself. Say yes to Him. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. Thank you for joining us for worship at FBC Farwell. If you made a decision for Christ, please let us know by contacting Pastor Russ at russ at fbcfarwell.org. We would love to connect with you and walk alongside you in your faith journey. We have some great resources to send you that will help you grow in your faith. As we close, I want to say thank you for listening today. If God leads you to give to the ministry of FBC Farwell, you can text FBC Farwell to the number 77977. Thank you for your generosity.